As I mentioned, today is the day that we honor our um, graduating seniors and our upcoming seventh graders. And I'm gonna first going to, what I want to say is, uh, families, especially graduating seniors, I'm preaching to you today. But all of you are listening in on this, right? Okay, and that's how we're going to do this. And I, and I may have some trouble actually figuring out which of you are the graduating seniors because I can remember when you were upcoming seventh graders. Race Burns, are you on the four-year plan? Did you get through high school? And what? You got the tux to show it, right? Getting every dollar out of that. I knew I liked you for some reason. That's, that's good. I like this guy. I like this guy. Yeah. So it's, it's just been a little while ago in my mind. Um, that's, that's because every year is a year to you, and I'm, I'm, I'm like a turtle. I, I age very long, and so I, you know, years are nothing to me. Anyway, um, preaching to them, we're listening in, right? And you're going to understand this, I hope, when we're all finished here. The text that inspires this this morning is from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let's throw off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let's run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. When I think of today, it, it reminds me of a story. Many years ago, there were these two Catholic men. And like good Catholics of their day and age, you see there were some rules back then that you had to fast on Friday. That's still kept in some circles. But that meant that on Friday... A good Catholic person would not eat any hamburgers, any steak, any pork chops, no sausages, just vegetables and fish. And so these two Catholic men were both devoted, and they said, we're going to keep the fast on Friday, as the church instructs us to do. And that was easy, except for the part where they would enjoy their Friday evenings on their own back porch, and their neighbor Charlie, who's a Protestant, would fire up his charcoal grill and the charcoal smoke and the sizzling steak aroma would float over to them and they would get so tempted to break the fast. That just smells so good. And so these two men struggled week after week throughout the summer because their neighbor Charlie would fire up that grill every Friday evening. And so they finally hit on an idea and they said, listen, We can't break the fast, but what if we get Charlie to convert to Catholicism, and then he'll have to keep the fast with us. And so they went and they reached out to Charlie for very self-motivated reasons, but they reached out to him and they built a relationship with him and they got to teaching him about their way of doing things, and Charlie converted And so they were all excited and happy, and they were happy for Charlie, and they were also happy that they would no longer be tempted on Friday to break the fast. But they didn't know how this was supposed to take place. So they took Charlie to their priest, and they said, 
We want, Charlie here wants to become a Catholic. How do we do this? And the priest said, well, he'll have to be baptized as a Catholic. So on Sunday morning, they brought Charlie before everyone, and the priest, now see, they do baptism a little different. They, he, had a, he had a little bowl of holy water, and he took a, a little wand, a little brush. It's called an aspergillum, and he, he takes it, dips it in the water, and he sprinkles it on Charlie, and he says, you were born a Protestant, you were raised a Protestant, but today you are a Catholic. And that was it. And now the two Catholic men are all excited because they're no longer going to be tempted on fast day. The next Friday comes along and they're very relaxed because they know that on this day they can enjoy themselves, they can enjoy the backyard, and they won't be tempted by that smell of the charcoal grill. Just then a cloud of smoke passes by. And there's that charcoal aroma. And there's the smell of hamburgers and steaks on the grill. They're both so upset. How is this possible? We know that's coming from Charlie's house. He just became a Catholic like us. How can he be doing this? So they rush over to Charlie's house, and there he is on his back porch, and he's got his gas grill going, and he's taking his brush, dipping it in the sauce, and he's saying to the steaks, you were born a cow, you were raised a cow, but today you are a fish. (laughs) That's a true story, and it's very theologically accurate. Not at all. So today reminds me that it's, it's like we sort of have our own little ritual where we say, you were born a kid, you were raised a kid, but today you are an adult. And that sounds pretty good. And there is some truth to that. Because this is a rite of passage. But there is real meaning in what we're doing today. And yet there are some myths. And I think it's important to point out some of those myths so that we can get to the meaning. You see, in our culture, we make our rites of passage somewhat artificial. They're based on birthdays. They're based on numbers. You can think about a few of them. I bet our graduates and I bet our incoming seventh graders, you can think of some of them. I mean, the numbers are already sixth to seventh grade, twelfth grade to whatever comes next. And so you, know, you can already think of these. But do you remember thirteen? Well, 10. 10 was a big one, wasn't it? Because then you're in double digits. Yeah. And so when you write your age on a form, it takes you twice as long at that point. Um, 13, that's when you really become a teenager, right? Uh, Some people will argue for 11 or 12, but 13 has the word teen in it. So it really starts at 13. But then 16. Now, we can definitely identify 16, right? Some of you out here, you've got drivers at 16. You know what we're talking about. That is the day that the state has decided that you can legally drive and you are a better driver. On your, right before your 16th birthday, you were horrible. On your 16th birthday, you immediately know the rules of the road. And then there's 18. Now it starts to get a little serious. 18 is when you are, in many ways, according to the law, an adult no longer a minor. You can vote. That's a responsibility. You you can do a lot of things at 18, except drink. You're not allowed to legally drink. You do that at 21. I don't encourage it, but you can do it at 21, because that's the day that the law says that it's okay for you to do that. And one day, I'm going to figure out why 21. Because then the next step up is 25. 
25, you see, now you're like, wait, what's 25? That's when your insurance rates go down. Now, I cannot understand. If you're old enough to do all that at 21 and take all this responsibility and supposedly can legally buy something to drink, why is it that 25 is when the insurance rates go down? The only thing I can figure out is that it takes four years for all those people to think that you can drink and drive and be irresponsible to figure that out in four years. Our rites of passage are very artificial. There's only one that I know of that comes next, and that's 55, and that's when you can go get the senior discount at the restaurants. They're artificial. You see, I don't care how old you are, some of those responsibilities, like being a citizen, knowing how to control yourself, knowing that you shouldn't drink or drive, that's not a matter of age, that's a matter of wisdom. That's a matter of growth and maturity. Knowing that you ought to avoid things that are bad for you and and embrace things that are good, that's a matter of responsibility. We ought to know that at any age and not just a matter of one birthday flipping over on the calendar. Our rites of passage, we call them rites of passage, but we have to ask ourselves, where do they lead to? All of those artificial dates, where do they lead to? They lead to nothing. But your rites of passage should be leading you to greater maturity in Christ and a greater awareness of who God is calling you to be. Um, Today's moment is a moment where we embrace that there's a transition. And yet, in some ways, this transition needs to be fuzzy. Because we can't just say, today you are a seventh grader, or today you are a senior, today you are an adult, whatever it is. We can do that for our books and for our purposes. But we want to say that this is a slice of life. This is a moment because we're going to acknowledge the fact today that you are going somewhere. That there is a path. And this is just one step on that path. Many of you, and and, and we'll... This is always a moment that I enjoy when we read through the booklet and Rick will read to us the things that the seniors have said, the places they want to go, the things that they want to do. And it's always very encouraging to hear that. And we want you, we we thank you for sharing that with us. And we want to hear that. Because one of the things I want you to know is, even though you're going places, and you'll be leaving us, some of us, you know, you'll be leaving us. And this this is the rite of passage where, as the Bible says, there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth as your parents let you go. Yeah, we got an amen. And, uh, but let me say this for the amens. And let me say this to our graduates, you're, you're leaving us in many ways, but you're not really leaving us. No, not really. Anyone who leaves us never really truly leaves us. And I'll tell you why. It's because leaving this cloud of witnesses is not a matter of place and space and location. It's not about an address, be it 900 North Waldron Road or anywhere else. You can't leave the cloud of witnesses that surrounds you because it will always be with you even when you get up like me into the turtle years, okay? It's still surrounding you. I want to show you um, some photos from one week that I experienced. And I want you to see how this cloud of witnesses surrounds us, how we live in a cloud. This is me. 
On Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, uh, Karen and I went out to California to the college lectures out there. And, and, and on the way out there, we're in the airport in, uh, at DFW, and I get a text from one of my friends. It's this fellow right here. Some of you may recognize him. His name is Jeff Richardson. Now, I haven't seen Jeff in years, but Jeff was one of my friends in college, and he became part of our cloud of witnesses. In fact, Karen and I know each other because of Jeff's influence, because her maiden name is Richardson, his name is Richardson. They thought maybe they're related somehow, and because of that, I meet Karen. So Jeff gets into my cloud of witnesses really early and in a good way. And then we knew them in Russellville, and some of you may know them from that time because we know you from the time that I was the campus minister at Arkansas Tech. But I meet Jeff, and, and we, we, re, we rekindle this relationship, and I find out he is an elder at a church in Mississippi. We share good news and encouragement with one another. We catch up on things. Now, right next to us, and I saw them talking together too, this is Al Sturgeon. Al was a college student who lived in the apartments next to Karen and I when we were first married in Fayetteville. And Al has been one that I have told some of the students. He's, he's actually a professor at the law school at Pepperdine. And I've told some of our students going out there, you need to meet Al and his um, wife, his family, because he is a shepherd in a church in California. And so this cloud of witnesses is there. I'm experiencing it. Now, I don't want you to think that that's because of the college lectures. Let me jump forward at the end of that week, and I want to show you a picture of some folks that you probably will recognize. This is Thomas and Chloe. And Thomas and Chloe were married last Saturday. Not yesterday, a week ago. And uh, some of you know them very well. And they're part of our cloud of witnesses too. And I don't think Thomas and Chloe even have last names. They're just Thomas and Chloe. <laughs> you know how when celebrities date and they get those names that, that, that get blended together? You know what Thomas and Chloe's name is when you blend it together? It's Thomas and Chloe. And uh, they, uh, they're married. And at, the, and, and at their wedding, you see this huge cloud of witnesses surrounding them. Thomas, for those of you who don't know, is one of the Lions for Christ. And his roots in this group go back to his high school days. People in this congregation know him. Chloe knows Rick and Christy O'Dell and their family and the people in Colorado where she's from. She spends one and then another summer with us as an intern in Wagee. And, uh, and that's a rare distinction. She's the first to do that here. So she has set the high mark. And she's influenced our families. She's, she, uh, Thomas has influenced our people. All of that is affirmed. Rick is officiating at the wedding, and all of this is affirmed, this cloud of witnesses, and how they have this, this constantly combining cloud of witnesses. And, and here's what point I want to make. I've heard of cloud farms, and uh, I'm not really sure what those are. But we're not cloud farmers. We don't have many clouds. We're not old McDonald. Here a cloud, there a cloud, everywhere a cloud, cloud, okay? That doesn't, that's not how it's done in the cloud of witnesses. There's one cloud of witnesses. One. But like real clouds that come together, if you watch them on a sunny day, and they blend and they mix, and you can tell where the cloud is, but you can't really see the boundaries. The boundaries, the boundaries are there. You know where the sky ends and the cloud begins. But the clouds are constantly mixing. You could see that at this wedding. 
all of these different clouds of witness combining and stirring and mixing. And I realized that there were people in that group that I did not know who had an influence on me and even on my family. Let me show you a picture of some people that you may not know. This picture right here is me, and this fellow is Chess Cavett. Now, when I was at Lake Jackson, Texas, and I was doing my doctoral thesis project, I had to have a group of people who represented the congregation, and I needed a teenager. And so I went to Chess. He was a teenager, just like we've got teenagers here, and I asked him to be a part of that team. And he contributed in a big, big way. And then he went on to study ministry. And then he met Megan. And uh, this is Megan. This is her daughter, Grayson, who's an adorable child. I met Grayson for the first time. This is out in California because they're there. Chess comes to my class that I'm teaching out there. And I realized what a cloud of witnesses we have. And, uh, and, And by the way, just another point of connection, Chess is now ministering at the church in Gilbert, Arizona, which is where Ambry Campbell's family was at at one time, correct? Yes, yes. That's right. And so there's all of these connections here. Um, One more, and this is somebody that you may recognize. We're coming back then from California. And because of the travel and the way it, it crosses over, we know that we're going to meet Hope Heslin, who was out here as a graduating senior, and her sister is today. And so this is when I became very aware of this this cloud of witnesses, and we had a chance to talk about her future, some of those dreams that she talked about, the same way you're talking about your dreams and hopes today. She's starting to see God act on those. And yet it's changing, just like a cloud changes and shifts. But I realize that she's in our cloud of witnesses and we're in hers, and this is where I also recognize she's leaving us to go to California and Europe and do other things, But there we are in picking up in DFW, and you know what? She's not really leaving us. She never will. None of them will. Thomas and Chloe won't leave us. Chess hasn't left me. I haven't left him. His children will be influenced by the cloud of witnesses that I know. That congregation will be influenced by that cloud of witnesses. In fact, you can even see it here in all of these connections because Al is one of the people that I told Hope to get in touch with when he goes out there. And I knew Al before I ever knew that she was going out there. And Hope also, and I don't have a picture of this, works for a woman named Tammy Williamson. Tammy Williamson and I worked together when I was in Texas at ACU. And we worked together in an office for one of the professors, Jack Reese. And Jeff just told me about some wonderful things that his congregation did with Jack Reese recently. Things that I didn't know and I'm glad to know. And, do you use, and, and there's probably more connections than I even realize. Now, listen, here's my point. That's my cloud of witnesses in one week. And that's one week where I'm actually paying attention. And that's one week of the people that I know, and that's just scratching the surface. What about the cloud of witnesses of people that I don't even know? And if that's true for me and my family then isn't that even more true for you and your family? We live in a cloud of witnesses. We are surrounded by it. Some people will say, well, you know, that's lectureship. That's that's the church of Christ. It's a small world. No, no, I don't buy it. 
I don't buy that. Because I choose to believe that the world is actually big. Well, I didn't go very far on that trip. And I don't have to go anywhere. But I choose to believe that the world is actually quite big. And, 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 and there's even stories that are greater than what you just heard. But I believe that God is even bigger. And I believe that He has this mapped out. Not just over space, but over time. And he has this cloud of witnesses all figured out. And rather than just saying it's a small world and that's chance, I believe that the other thing about the cloud of witnesses is that there is a sun shining through those clouds. Not S-U-N sun, but S-O-N, the Son of God. That's the message of Hebrews. The message of Hebrews is, is that we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. We are all in it. You are surrounded today, whether you acknowledge it or not. You can say that you're as independent as the Marlboro Cowboy. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about because I got rid of cigarette advertising, thank goodness, a long time ago. But you can say that you're as independent as you want to be, and guess what? You live in a cloud of witnesses. You are influenced. You are shaped by people who are around you, people who are looking up to you. That's going to be acknowledged and affirmed today. You're also shaped and influenced by people who've gone before you, people you may not even know. People who are blessing you in your life right now in ways you may not even know. But what ties all of it together, and now this isn't coming from me, this is coming from Hebrews. What ties it all together is that Son, the Son of God. That God, you go back to the beginning of Hebrews, God has chosen to reveal Himself, not through prophets, not through angels, not through messages, but through His Son. His representative, his own, his own child. And Christ is the constant. As the text says, we run a race. He calls life a race. He calls it a a, a race of endurance. It's a marathon. We run through it. And we get through it by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, who's our champion. He says the initiator and the perfecter of our faith. Now, you've got a lot of different English words to choose from there. Author, perfecter, beginner, finisher, start, finish, whatever it is. The point is, Christ is there at the beginning. Christ is there at the end. He's the constant that shines through the cloud of witnesses. And as you're surrounded by all of these people who are like spectators cheering you on, and that's going to happen for you guys today, too. You look out here and you take note of this. While you're standing up here and you don't know what to do, you know, because some of you, and those of you who are early on in the alphabet, I share your pain. I know what it's like. You're just going to be standing here for a while. You look out here and behold your cloud of witnesses, all right? And you guys, give them a thumbs up or something, okay? You know, give them some, you know, don't, you know, give them some encouragement. And um, because we're cloud of witnesses, but we're all going to keep our eyes on Christ because that's where this rite of passage is going. It's not just going to college. It's not just going to career. It's not just going to seventh grade. This rite of passage is ultimately about all of us crossing the finish line where Jesus Christ is because he has blazed the trail before us. The author and the perfecter of our faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded, we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. So let's throw off every weight that slows us down. Let's throw off the sin that easily trips us up. And pause right there. 
In just a moment, we're going to sing a song, and I want to say to everyone now, not just overhearing, but to everyone, don't let sin disqualify you from this race. Don't let sin disqualify you. Sometimes we think that that sin is an obstacle that we'll never get over. Sometimes we have to acknowledge that there is a sin. And you can't get around an obstacle like sin until you can name it, until you know it's there. Because otherwise, it's going to trip you up, and you'll never know what's tripping you up. Name it. Name it. Identify it. There's no shame in identifying it if in the process of identifying it, you are turning it over to Christ. The only shame is not identifying it and continuing to live in it in such a way that it's going to kill you and it's going to hurt others around you. Don't let that be the case. Name it. That sin that so easily trips us up. And then run with endurance the race that God has set before us. How do we do that? We do that by keeping our eyes on Jesus, who's the champion that begins and ends. He initiates and he completes. He perfects our faith. As we stand and sing this song, there's going to be shepherds right here, and I think they're also going to be in room 100 right now. Is that right? Okay. And, and then after this, I want to encourage you to, to stay around and encourage these young people who are in our cloud of witnesses. Let's stand and let's sing, and I want to invite everybody to fix their eyes on Jesus and run the race with endurance.